Welcome to Empowered Communication. I am Meredith Hawley, a workplace conflict mediator, communication coach, and attorney. And I'm Megan Mellon, a social impact strategist focused on large-scale systems change. This podcast is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended to substitute for legal advice or for therapy. Laws are different in every state in the United States, especially when it comes to employment law and in every country, they're also different. If you have concerns about your workplace experience, we encourage you to seek counseling, seek therapy, seek any modality that might help you and to get legal advice from an attorney in your area. Just say no, toughen up, call us back when you get fired. A lot of us have heard some bad advice that doesn't work in a toxic work environment, but today we're going to talk about what works instead, and the answer is boundaries. What are they? Boundaries are unique to each of us, and they are as unique and specific to the situations that we find ourselves in at work. And today, Meredith is going to help us illuminate how we can execute boundaries effectively in the workplace when it's a little bit more complicated, especially the farther we go in our career or in a given company. Thank you for joining us. And Meredith, thank you for your willingness to share about this really salient topic. Yay, I'm excited. So I think first we have to sort of say, what are we talking about when we talk about boundaries? Because some people have different definitions of boundaries. So when I'm talking about boundaries, I think of boundaries as similar to a property boundary, like a personal boundary is like the boundary that's around your house. So just like we know if our neighbor comes into our home without knocking, that's a violation, probably, unless we've given them permission to. Mm -hmm. Um, We know when someone's coming into our space and violating our personal boundaries. Boundaries can be physical, they can be emotional, spiritual, or energetic, they can be intellectual, and they are all nuanced to us. Uh, Some people will sort of say that you're not allowed to have a boundary if it's not the same boundary as what they have, but we all get to define our own boundaries because we know who we are. Some people also define boundaries a little bit differently and they include sort of our expectations for how other people behave around us. And I think that that is fair and can be a way that we use boundaries um, and that we think of boundaries. But at a base level, the way I like to start thinking about it is just as the line between us and another person. It's not Mm -hmm. necessarily the agreements we've made with the other person. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily our expectation of how they behave that doesn't cross into our space. It's just Mm -hmm. what crosses into our space. Got it. So the second part is like the expectations would be like, well, at the last team, all of my direct reports sent me a birthday card and I don't feel like I can have a great relationship with you unless you're sending me birthday cards. Like that's not what we're talking about in this case. That might be an expectation. That might be an agreement. Like, you know, one team member brings a birthday cake for the other person. And then the other person brings a team, you know, birthday cake for the next person. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is the boundaries like property boundaries, like your physical space, your emotional space, your intellectual kind of respect that you need to get the job done. Um, One other thing that I love that we talk about sometimes around that house analogy or like somebody coming, stepping onto somebody else's property is that you might invite your friend over, or frankly, you might invite an electrician over to come into your house and like go mess around with the breaker box in your house. But if 
your mother-in-law comes in and has been invited to have tea in the living room and then just walks to your breaker box and starts stabbing a fork in the breakers. Like this is actually, it's not the same situation as the electrician scenario. And I think it sounds simple when you look at it in a house, like, of course, the kids that you invited over for a birthday party are not supposed to be going through your financial files. Like in a house, it makes perfect sense. But sometimes in work environments, it can get very, very blurry, especially when there are people who are not in a great habit of being curious about others' needs and preferences in their own lives. And then there they are in the workplace. They think that everybody else should permit and celebrate their behavior, no matter what the impact of that behavior is. And then in our personal lives, we might just distance from that person. But in the workplace, they could be on your team. They could be a manager. They could be a a crucial direct report or a peer. And so the normal thing that's like, well, we're just not going to be as close to friends with that person. We're not going to have them over on Christmas. It's not actually the same set of rules that you're in in the workplace situation. Right. I always tell this story. Uh, I think I was still in law school at this point. I had the opportunity to read the student conduct hearing. And there was a student um, at this university who he was a graduate student and there were a number of women who were graduate students who had reported him for touching them in the computer lab, touching them different times. And so they were testifying and then the women testified, you know, I've told him not to touch me. I've told him my personal space is important to me. I've told him this is triggering to me. I've tried to communicate my boundaries over and over and he keeps touching me. And then you read on to the man's testimony and he says, well, they keep talking about their boundaries, but what if my boundary is to touch them? Mm. And I think that that sort of is a common... It's cultural conflict. I mean, in places where there is an issue, usually there is some kind of difference of opinions like this in play. People, a manager that I worked with, would make comments on people's appearance and who was very beautiful and how to become more beautiful in the workplace. And just a lot of comments uh, appreciating and coaching advancement of one's attractiveness and appearance. And that was, for them, that was like a really important expression of their uh, appreciation, frankly, for other people. That was very important. And for other people in the workplace who are from like a different work context, that was offensive or dangerous because some people from other cultures had learned if actually we are too forward with appearance at work in some way, we will be then held to account for inviting, you know, the wrong kind of attention. Uh, But, you know, for the manager giving the feedback, it was like blindsiding that everyone was not very supported So there is a culture conflict the way that it actually shows up, which can be very, very tricky when you're on the side of feeling discomfort. Right. I even had a client, this is not a work context, but it was a situation with her husband where they had had a number of fights about money and Mm -hmm. he would sort of criticize her about her use of money. And then she had told him like she had her own income. They had separate bank accounts you're not invited to comment about my use of money. And so one night at dinner, he made a comment about some orange pillows she had bought and put by their pool. And it just sent her off the chart. She was so mad that he would do it. So she had said, criticizing me about my use of money is a boundary violation. If we treat that as a boundary violation, it can kind of step us 
out of the space of just being reactive and sitting in the unfairness of it. And also, frankly, in the situation of touching at work, which can be unsafe, in the situation of commenting on people's appearance, which can feel unsafe, like in any of these situations where it can feel unsafe, if we have a structure for how to deal with boundary violations and plan on them happening, Mm -hmm. then it's not as actually unsafe. You can still experience someone having unsafe behavior or just behavior that is not what you want to tolerate for any reason. It doesn't have to be unsafe to be behavior you don't want to tolerate coming into your space. And and then you can have steps for handling it and not have to take yourself out of the situation or just sit in that space of feeling disrespected, feeling dehumanized, feeling afraid. So for me, when I was in my workplace situation, Um, the biggest thing for me that was a boundary violation is my boss would put his hand on my shoulder. And like, to me, in my mind, I was describing it like he's massaging my back all the time. He won't stop touching me. It felt very scary. And I was sort of like, you know, I have to work late at night and he's the only person here. This could escalate to something dangerous. But ultimately, when you reduce it to, I don't want people to put their hands on my shoulder at work, Mm. that's true for anybody. To me, that's a zero times event experience at work. I just don't appreciate being touched at work. It wasn't even about him, although it was, it felt scarier because it was him. But we can say, I don't appreciate when people comment on my use of money. I don't appreciate when people describe me. Like that honestly is a very common boundary. Humans do not appreciate being described. Even if you're trying to compliment them, they tend to not like it. And so if you can reduce it to this is just a boundary that I have in my space, it becomes more clear. And even if there is somebody like the student conduct hearing who believes that their boundary overlaps with yours, you are still allowed to enforce your boundary as you see fit. Sometimes there are consequences for that, right? So if he believes his boundary overlaps with hers and he needs to enforce his right to violate her boundary, it's not a real boundary at that point, honestly, because people have their own autonomy and their own bodily integrity. So that's obviously not like a real thing that is more invasion and control because it's not about his space it's about going into her space however like even in that situation like if he wants to enforce his boundary of touching her then there may be consequences for him there may be criminal consequences for him ultimately because as a society we've agreed that some boundaries are enforceable in the law other boundaries are still valid and they're not enforceable by law And I think part of empowered communication and part of the process is educating ourselves about where those enforceable boundaries are. Like someone could come in and say, you know, you know, kids play finders keepers, right? Finders keepers. But if somebody comes to your house and they say finders keepers, 
at least in this century, we're like, that's not a thing right now. There's a right. lot of politics and history to that. Like that is what we did before, but now the power structure that we live in right now is not doing that anymore. Right. So like it doesn't, it doesn't actually hold up. Someone can pretend finders keepers, or they can pretend I get to touch whoever I want in the computer lab. But actually when you move forward with that argument, it will fall apart. But you might not know that coming in, especially if you haven't done the thing you said. You said a winning strategy on this is to plan on boundary violations happening in the workforce. I don't think we come out of college wanting that. I don't think a lot of our educators train kids that way or a lot of parents, right? Because when people are young and they're developing, we're trying to tell this line with not horrifying people about adulthood while still preparing them. But as adults in the workforce, I just think that is some of the most compassionate and grounding advice possible to plan on them happening. And then just like, you know, you live in Tornado Alley or you live in a hurricane area, like you have a process in place so that at least you are not stunned shocked and flabbergasted, which by the way, if this is your first time talking about these issues are not your fault. Your body actually has systems in it that will freeze you when you think you are in danger. And there's a lot of really interesting neuroscience to that. There's some really interesting neuroscience on using breath to reset some of those responses. Dr. Fred Luskin is a really good expert on that. So if you found yourself frozen, please just know this is not your fault. All is not lost. And if we can retract a little bit to a safe place to talk through some of these issues, to recalibrate and to imagine planning for this to happen, then we can get plans in place for both the egregious situations, the computer lab creeper, whether it's in college or in your workplace. I feel like we can all, there could be a coffee machine creeper in your workplace, right? Or the accounting creeper. It could be any field. Sorry, accountants. I didn't mean to single you out. But we plan on them happening. And then we have a roadmap, both for really egregious, physically unsafe breaches and for the nuanced ones. Other really yeah. great resources when you notice yourself freezing are Peter Levine's book, Waking the Tiger. And the book Complex PTSD from Surviving to Thriving, those are two, they have really practical strategies for if you notice yourself freezing over and over again or not enforcing boundaries. But we're going to talk more about that in other episodes too. But those are just really foundational trauma books that are amazing. That that reinforces like there are biological lockup responses at play here. And so the most important message, if this has affected you, is it is not your fault. And also contrary to a lot of movie stuff that you see, I did high school debate and there was like this kooky phrase people said that was like, silence is compliance. Silence is not compliance and it's not consent. And if you didn't say it before because you were locked up and you couldn't you just couldn't actually access your motor system to respond. It's just really important that you begin from a place, even if you have not yet intervened in a dynamic that is not working for you, you have not given away what you need in order to say this doesn't work. And honestly, it could have worked yesterday, but if today is when it hit a threshold, or maybe today you just woke up with a different sense of what you require for yourself and the path that you're on, that is also okay. There is a wonderful educator I used to work with who would say, consent is this person, this action, and this moment. Right. 
I think so often we are trained about this whole rule system. Well, it was okay yesterday that we have to defend it. And there is no litigation that has to happen in this. It's what works in the moment. And I think consent also, if we really are building towards an empowered communication process and, um, and like healthy, safe, challenging communications like this, mm-hmm. consent exists not just with physical touch, but it exists with bringing up a charged topic to talk to about someone. It exists with describing someone as a person. Like we can encounter situations based on consent Mm -hmm. and based on agreement, expecting agreement, expecting the other person to have a say in how things go. And that's more from the side of like, if we have realized that we might be violating other people's boundaries, but it's also okay to ask yourself, have I consented to this? Is this okay with me? Why is my body having this response in this moment? If something feels like a violation, Sometimes I think that boundary violations are uh, across the board. They are uh, all or nothing. Like they are just a personal policy of I do not tolerate being touched at work. I do not tolerate people describing me. I do not tolerate people misgendering me or people mixing up my name with the other person who's the same race as me. Whatever those things are can be universal. Other times, like you were saying, They are more nuanced and it is a moment by moment by moment. I've found for myself that sometimes I can realize something's a boundary with one person. I can set it as a personal policy and then it's just easy going forward because I always know that that's a personal policy for me. Like for me, I just had this come up recently where like ghosting is a boundary violation for me. But I set that as a policy like years and years ago with a situation where I had a friend who repeatedly would cancel after I was already at a location or like 10 minutes before. And it just was really disrupting things for me. And so I was like, I need to set this as a boundary violation. But the reason to set it that we want to talk about also is so that you know how to enforce that boundary Mm. and to take back control of enforcing that boundary for ourselves Sometimes we don't even need to communicate a boundary to the other person. We just need to have a plan for how we enforce it to keep ourselves safe and to reward ourselves when there's a violation that happens. Okay. So I love this example of ghosting, right? Because in the ghosting situation, or for example, I once had a manager who was recurrently very, very late to our one-on-one meetings. And my understanding was that they were not necessarily late to other people's. I was in a different time zone, but it was a little bit hard to contextualize if that I got caught up in being like, well, is this personal to me Mm -hmm. or is this just how they are with everybody? Now I know that was me kind of getting on their side of the fence, right? Even if they were late with everybody, it may or may not work for me and set me up for success. So even if they were late for everybody, I was kind of looking at that as like, oh, well, maybe I won't mention it. No, if if it doesn't work for me to wait for 19 minutes for a 30 minute one-on-one to begin, then, and that doesn't work, just like your ghosting example, that is a good time to get in communication. But I love the ghosting one at least outside of work, because you're not going to go to someone's house and pull them out of bed and drag them to the movie with you if they've ghosted you. Like, it's not enforceable. It's too exhausting. You're not going to, like, send them hate mail for three weeks telling them how sad they made you. So when there is a boundary and there's a violation or, like, you told your friend, like, this is important to me or your colleague is well aware that you have requested, you know, notice at the five-minute mark, 
how do you decide what those consequences will be? And in particular, please tell us more about this rewarding yourself idea, because I think there's a lot going on there. Yeah. So it's again, nuanced. I think that's part of the point of all of this. So when you're deciding what a consequence is going to be, the consequence is about you and about your needs and what you need in that moment. It's not about the person who's violated the boundaries. When we are fixated on correcting their behavior, what we end up doing is putting a lot of energy towards them to help them be a better person. This is a person who you already know is willing to violate your boundaries You might love them. You might think they're an amazing person. You might respect them. You might think that they're the best mentor that you've ever had. They might be someone who's awesome. You might want to put energy towards helping them be a better person, but you need to decide that separately Mm -hmm. than enforcing your boundary. Your boundary is yours and you deserve to have it regardless of how much you love the other person, respect them or hate them. Like it doesn't matter. If you want their approval, fine, but get the boundary in place first and then think about the additional energy as an extra, but like get it flat on the boundary front. And then you can also do other side projects. Right. I, a lot of times see this come up with racism, right? Like this is just a very common dynamic between a, for example, a black woman leader with a white woman leader above her. It's just a common dynamic where like the white woman leader will say, oh, I'm so invested in DEI work. I'm invested in anti-racism. I'm doing all this work, but then also weaponize white supremacy against the black manager unconsciously, right? And then that's a boundary violation for the black woman. And so the black woman then is like, do I educate this person? Do I put that extra labor into helping her, which is okay to do, but also first- your boundaries are important. You deserve your boundaries. And it's irrelevant how well-intended or how much good work the other person is doing. And it's also okay to educate. I know I said that already, but like, it's okay to educate. It's great to educate. It's amazing public service. If you're in a place though, where you've had boundaries violated, there's a, a Buddhist saying, I think it's a Pema Chodron story. And she says, if you're in the woods, someone shoots an arrow and it goes into your heart you should attend to the wound first before you go find the person who shot the arrow to tell them not to shoot arrows in the woods, you know, or to give them their arrow back. Right. right? Which is like also how we overcorrect. We're like, Oh no, they were trying to hunt for food and I'm bad food, you know? And you like stagger through the forest, ripping it out of your heart to return the lost object. This also a very simple way that I think we need to just land. This is like, it's putting your own oxygen mask on first. Once you have it on, you can use all that oxygen to like, you know, help people understand what it's like to interact in the 21st century. But if you're, we need to separate, right? We're going to do education with the oxygen flowing. Mm -hmm. So that happens first. So the enforcement for yourself is attending to what do I need right now that would make this safe? The checklist that I go through in any situation like this, especially a physical boundary violation situation, Mm -hmm. but also any time that my body is kind of alerting me like danger, danger, this feels uncomfortable. This feels bad. I literally go through this checklist, even though it can sound funny, 
do I need to call 911 right now? If somebody is touching my body without my consent, then I may have 911 as a resource. If somebody is coming into my home without my consent, I may have 911 as a resource. Do I need to call my trusted neighbor if I don't trust 911? Do I need to call my most trusted friend or my tallest, strongest friend? <laughs> like mm-hmm. if I don't trust 911, but do I need to call somebody and get this? physically out of my space Mm -hmm. and removed. Second question, do I need to leave this room right now to protect myself? And then I say to myself, I am allowed to leave any room that I'm in ever, always. That is just a hundred percent of the time rule. If there is a consequence for me from leaving a room, I'm willing to accept that consequence Mm -hmm. because my safety comes first and the whole safety of the room, frankly, comes first and Mm -hmm. me leaving. If it contributes to safety for me, it contributes to safety for other people. Mm -hmm. Always allowed to leave a room. Do I need to call 911? Whatever that means for you, even if 911 is not a safe resource for you, do I need to leave this room? Mm -hmm. Third question, what do I need right now? And then that can kind of give insight both into the safety component and into the reward component. So Mm -hmm. if you're looking at what do I need right now in terms of safety, sometimes that just means going into the bathroom and crying. Sometimes it means shutting a door and locking it. Sometimes it means calling a friend and venting about what just happened. Sometimes it means writing in a journal what happened and venting it there. Sometimes it means reporting to HR. It can mean getting in your car and driving to Starbucks, listening to a meditation. What creates safety for you that puts somehow literally safety into the bubble of your space right now? And then sometimes that's enough for people and they're not ready to step to the reward side, but I love the reward side of things. And that's where it gets really fun because one, that's where you can kind of mess with people who are repeat boundary violators, but (laughs) two, that's where you really come to yourself and treat yourself as though you are a worthy whole human who deserves Mm -hmm. the respect that you're not getting from the boundary violator. So one way to decide how do you want to reward yourself when you encounter a boundary violation is you say, if I saw someone who was like me in this situation, but who's not me, Mm -hmm. someone I love, someone who I treat as a best friend, what would I do for them that would reward them and help them shift their day that would help them have the Mm -hmm. beautiful, wonderful day that I know they deserve. Mm -hmm. If I saw an innocent child who had their boundary violated, how would I go to that child and like offer them something that's going to help them grow up knowing that they deserve respect and that they are a wonderful whole person. And remind them that that's not okay. You know, even though somebody did it, it wasn't about them. You know, it, it resets the deeper violation. It's not just like somebody came across your property. Like if somebody's house gets robbed and they get the insurance claim and they put all their stuff back, there's still a lingering issue there, right? Because it hasn't been repaired and you now know that it can be broken. So I think it's so valuable to do the, like the innocent child piece because they don't just need, you know, their lollipop back. We need to reset the reminder that it's not okay. And it's not free if that continues to happen to you. I think that that addresses the longer term. I think that that is 
so valuable and so true. I also think that we're allowed to set boundaries that are more sensitive than that and that are Mm -hmm. more nuanced than that and that in other spaces might be okay for someone else. So for example, for me with ghosting, I used to have a standing lunch date with somebody and they would cancel twice a month, 10 minutes before, but we mostly met for lunch all the time. So canceling 10 minutes before is not the worst thing in the world, but it didn't interfere with my day. But Mm -hmm. it's not something where I would go to somebody and say, you don't deserve that. You're better than this. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just not that level of problem to me, Mm -hmm. but it kept bothering me and bothering Mm -hmm. me. And then I decided, okay, I still want to have lunch with this person. I still love this person. They're still awesome. And I'm always going to make an equally good or better plan every time I make plan for lunch with them. And I'm going to ask them when we make a plan, like, are you committed to showing up there or is this a tentative thing so that Mm -hmm. I know ahead of time, but I'm also going to always know I have a equally good or better thing lined up. That's awesome. So if they cancel, I'm like, yay, now I get to go have a full ice cream lunch or whatever. And you chose that. And that was also within your control. And also it was a result of your creativity. So it's not like you go and hack into their bank account and steal their money to buy yourself ice cream, but you're just like, no, when X happens that is undesirable, I am going to be sure that the day I have, the downswing in my day actually becomes a secret treat or a lift. And so, you know, you're always taken care of because you created something that is at least equally delightful to a world in which everything went the way you originally thought. I think this comes back to planning for it to happen. If you plan for it to happen, then you're like, well, if it happened, what could I do that doesn't just cause survival, but actually addresses that Mm, the slump we get. And then I'm not struggling with someone who's not able to meet my expectations to try to convince them to meet my expectations, right? right? There are some expectations like our bodies deserve their integrity. Like no one is allowed to touch you without your permission that can rise to the level of a crime. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people who violate those boundaries. And I'm not saying we need to be vigilant and like always expecting people to touch us without our permission, but it doesn't hurt to know how we want to respond if that does happen. And then we're not scared of it. I think sometimes for folks who have found ourselves in a situation we did not desire, it can become really anxious to try and figure out, well, how will I know that this won't happen in the future? Mm -hmm. And so this is just the alternative to that. It's like, well, let's say we've learned we can't control everyone and everything. That's actually really true. Things do happen. Lightning strikes. If it happened, what could I put in place? And I think this is like a restorative step you know, or like a a very rejuvenating one. Do you have one more example, Meredith, maybe of like a reward consequence in the workplace? This is somewhat in the workplace, but you might get in trouble a little bit with this one, but this is one of my favorite ideas. And I did suggest it to someone in a workplace situation and she did cackle with delight. Bring on the cackling. So in Germany, a while back, I believe they passed a law that made street harassment illegal. And so you get a traffic fine if you street harass somebody, if you cat call, if you yell at them, it's a traffic violation. I'm not aware of anything like that in the United States. In fact, I'm fairly certain that there's not any kind of street harassment law. However, I think it would be hilarious 
if we all decided every time someone gets street harassed to just say, what's your name? And then look the person up on Venmo and send them a hundred dollar charge on Venmo because either they pay it or it's hilarious, right? We just basically are sending people the bill yes, or the consequences of their actions. Yes. And it's funny. And if they pay it, we got a hundred bucks. Yeah. Or they don't pay it and it's still funny. I feel like the catcalling is actually a very good example at work because there are so many, Mm -hmm. people call them microaggressions. Personally, I think microaggressions are just aggressions that society has minimized. So we have these moments of hostility and these aggressions that work. And again, to go back to our kind of origin for today, the toughen up. Yes. Advice is right there. But some of the places where we really start leaking our power is where those infractions happen or they happen to somebody else in your workplace. And then we go home and we feel horrible because either we ended up feeling like there was nothing we could do mm-hmm. or that we did nothing. Those are like the two sources of my greatest mm-hmm. despair, like in cat calling or in situations where as a bystander, right? Maybe it's not, I have a fair amount of privilege as a white cis hetero woman. Like maybe it's not me, but when I can't find an action to take, it feels terrible. So like having that invitation to create a rewarding lift in your day, Mm. when you see something that's terrible, that doesn't actually have to control the other person into doing what you say, but it's you showing yourself that you count on yourself to show up. That really expands the ground that we have to exercise our agency. And I think that's really smart to bring it back to these pieces of advice that don't work. These are a piece of advice that I hear from lawyers all the time that they tell to employees, just say no, toughen up, call us back when you get fired. To me, I think toughen up, outsmart it are like two of the worst pieces of advice I've ever heard. And just say no is fine, but like, very unrealistic and ineffectual. I think if we think we can toughen up through boundary violations and intellectualize, outsmart them, that just means that we are figuring out new ways to tolerate boundary violations, which we don't need to do. And I just don't think it's helpful. We are tough. Like who who has not experienced boundary violations, like, and been tough and we're fine. We're smart. We're tough. And we deserve to have environments that are respectful and to be empowered to create those environments. For ourselves and other people and the just toughen up part. Like, I think there's so many of us, even in our generation, in the generations before us, generations after, whether you were a third year college student or a third year legal professional, when you toughen up, Often the times we then watch the computer lab creeper go creep on someone else. Yes. And so toughening up yes. doesn't solve that. No, I you think watch it roll downhill. Just say yes to yourself and your own safety. Like get more sensitive so we create more thriving environments and like deal with this while we're in careers we love, like go for jobs that we love in terms of when we walk away and we're just dwelling on how we didn't do it. We're going to talk about that in the next episode and like how we treat ourselves around boundaries, because all of this is for us. Like it's not to set an extra expectation for someone who's experiencing a boundary violation, someone who's experiencing the boundary violation. There's nothing you can do wrong. Like 
it's all about caring for yourself and experimenting and meeting yourself where you are right now and maybe messing it up even. Yeah. Cause you don't have to fix the other person or know how to fix the other person in order to have it be very important and valuable to voice your own needs. Because we talked about like, just say no. Like if someone touches you and you're like, no, that actually is not a helpful instruction but you have a really simple way of saying it. So like someone's touching me at work, like what's one way that I could respond that's not just like shouting no and pointing at them in the face? Yeah, so I think there's two ways to respond that are basically the same thing. And the first is like a little more gentle. The first is I just need a little bit of space right now. Hmm. It's fine to say, I just need a little space. Excuse me, Mm -hmm. could you back up? Mm -hmm. Or I'm going to move over here because I need a little space. Always okay. The second way to say the exact same thing is I don't appreciate being touched at work. Could you step back, please? And that sets the overall boundary. The reason to use the first is if it's more comfortable to you, if you have a trusted relationship with the person and you want to maintain that and you think that it's maybe an accident or just for yourself if it's more comfortable language. The reason to use the second is that if somebody is violating your boundaries, your feelings are never the problem. Their actions are the problem. So sometimes when we say, I need a little space right now, it kind of tends to indicate that we are the one that's having an unusual response. Mm -hmm. When Mm -hmm. we say, I don't appreciate being touched at work, we're identifying their behavior as the thing that is crossed the line. And so that can be a nuanced thing. And my experience is that when we give ourselves permission to enforce our boundaries, we know our language to do it. We naturally know it when we give ourselves permission. But in the next episode, we're going to talk about why we don't do it. And what gets in the way. And so if you're listening, you know, you might go, well, I don't know my language, which I am just going to normalize and say there were many years when I didn't know mine either. And that is part of why we are creating this as a conversation, because with all the free stuff we've talked about today, with all the particularities of the situation, you can be a total beast in your field and you can be the smartest in your class. And often people are. It doesn't mean that it should somehow be natural or immediate. It is perfectly okay to take a step back, to reassess, to update our expectations. Okay, we're actually going to plan for this to still be the reality. Surprise, this is not a post-gender, post-race world. Okay, recalibrate and then put some of these boundaries, clarity, awareness in place for yourself and then do our best to stay on exactly the wavelength Meredith is talking about, which is that it gets to be about us about creating safety, about creating a sense of remediation or reward, given the impact of experiencing something that crossed the line, which represents the the conditions under which you can really contribute. I hope people are walking away really realizing how ubiquitous these situations are and how not alone we all are having faced them you know, we were in our 30s, you know, late 20s and 30s when we really started to figure this stuff out. So if you are at any age along your journey, this stuff is really cusping right now. And if you have been told that you need to tough it out, if you have been told that just saying no is the only kind of word that you would need in order to navigate some of these situations as you're advancing in your career, you're not alone. And that is not all that you need. You have other needs. And this work can kind of help you figure out how to voice those while staying focused on you. 
Next time, we are going to talk a little bit more about how to do that earlier and earlier so that like the computer lab creeper doesn't get like nine people in to a variety of harassing incidents. And we're going to kind of enter this space about how we can get earlier stage in nipping these things in the bud and experiencing ourselves as having a spidey sense of how to correct it when it is still not completely dragging down our day knowing that these things are going to happen. If people want to tell us about their own boundary experience, a situation that they're struggling with, not sure how to enforce a boundary or how to reward themselves, they can go to erisresolution.com slash story, E-R-I-S resolution.com slash story. If you have heard feedback when you overstepped someone's boundary, right. it actually really inspired you or worked well, if you've had a positive experience with someone giving you feedback that actually allowed you to calibrate, those would also be really fun stories because as we are fighting to give feedback, sometimes we forget how gratefully we receive feedback when someone else gives it, right? Those who are not committed to continuing to do this kind of stuff, we're like actually really grateful for someone saying, hey, that didn't work for me. Could you actually, and you're like, oh my God, of course. The purpose of boundaries is to build relationships. So for example, when I was talking about the ghosting policy that I have that came up this week, it was like, I had a lovely conversation with someone and it was just beautiful. And it's someone I love. And I just said, Hey, this didn't feel great to me. Could you do it different next time? And they said, thank you for telling me. And it was not because I didn't love them. It was because I was willing to share with them what is going to help me thrive in our relationship and in my space. People feel so safe when we can communicate our boundaries clearly and then also that sometimes there are true predators who don't care. Yep. And this process is, it is okay to not know at the beginning. And over time, we differentiate them and yeah. we will be in your world with some more uh, guidance for those tough times. Thank yeah. you for joining us and we'll see you next time. The Empower Communication Podcast is produced by Same Team Media, music by Sarai Johnson. Music.